listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another new episode of ESL Talk. We've made a great start to season six, and we're going to continue again today with another really interesting and insightful episode talking about collectivism and community within English teaching. We have our special guest, Saba, who's going to join us to share her insights into this very interesting concept of English teaching and also share some tips how you can start to implement some of these techniques and strategies into your very own teaching practice. Also, just wanted to say a really big thank you to everyone who's reached out who'd like to be on a future episode. Um, I do see the requests. They are piling up, which is amazing to see. We will be reaching out very soon to schedule a time and a date for us to conduct the interview. And if anyone else would like to uh, apply to be a guest on a future episode, you just need to visit the website esl-talk.com, click the Be a Guest button, and then you can fill in a couple of details and tell us what you would like to talk about and discuss on an episode of the podcast. So before we get into today's interview with Saba, just wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor esl-curriculum.com which offers 600 plus interactive, off-the-shelf, ready-to-teach lessons for all levels and abilities and ages. So if you teach kids, if you teach business English, if you teach IELTS, if you teach writing, if you teach speaking, you are totally covered with materials, resources, and even games which have recently been added as well, so that you can really save time on preparation and planning and deliver amazing lessons for your students. So once again, just go to esl-curriculum.com to get started with your very own free two-week trial. Check it out, see what it's all about, and save yourself a lot of time and energy when it comes to your prep and planning. And just finally, don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to get some more information about our guests, about upcoming episodes and some sneak previews and video clips too. You can simply do that on Instagram by following at ESL Talk Podcast. And as I've already mentioned, you can go to the website esl-talk.com and you can access all of our previous episodes, 75 I think to count right now, which is amazing, um, just by going to the website esl-talk.com. All right, so let's get into today's interview with Saba, where we're going to talk about collectivism and building community in the ESL classroom.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Hello, Saba. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very of course. excited. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this idea of connectivism and communities mm-hmm. of practice mm-hmm. in teaching. Um, so before we get into that, could you start by telling us a little bit about your English teaching journey, kind of um, where did it start and, and where are you today? Oh, yeah, sure. So I started teaching English when I was 20 years old. Um, I was at that time I was in Iran and I was studying. I was doing a bachelor's degree in English. Um, I started teaching when I was like really young myself. So I started with teaching children and kids, which was a very rewarding experience. But then later um, I started to teach uh, teenagers, adults, different age groups. I did my first master's degree in linguistics back in Iran. And then uh, two years ago, I immigrated to Canada. So I did my second master's degree in teaching English. And here I am. Again, I like that you've had that range and experience of all the different levels and mm-hmm. how your study helped helped you prepare for this it's career. Sure. Yeah. So um, we were talking about topics and we we suggested this idea and, and you brought up this term um, connectivism, first of all. So what exactly is this and how does it relate to teaching in a kind of digital you know, age that we're in right now as teachers? I think we are both in our 30s, and I'm sure that uh, anybody else who is in their 30s, they just realize that how um, fast the information is growing um, compared to the kind of situation we had when we were, for example, like 10 years old or even 15 years old. Um, So um, we have had really good theories in teaching. Um, we are all familiar with behaviorism or constructivism. And some of the teaching methods, strategies that we use currently are based on those theories still. 
-hmm. But um, some other theorists like Siemens, for example, they just realized that because um, everything is changing and then we are now living in this digital era. So we kind of need uh, some sort of new theory or some kind of change in our teaching methodologies or let's say even learning strategies. So uh, that's why connectivism was introduced which basically it was introduced by Siemens and Downs uh, somehow in 2004-2005 uh, let's say it's a new learning paradigm which is really adapted to the network world that we are currently living in mm -hmm. and we cannot deny that information and let's say knowledge right now is growing exponentially and it seems like we cannot do anything about it, but we just need to equip ourselves with um, necessary equipment so that we can filter the information or keep ourselves up to date. So that's why connectivism somehow was introduced. And um, it's been quite popular since it was uh, introduced. And um, I think it has a lot to share. It has a lot to say about our teaching uh, methodologies and also the way students learn or the way we learn, let's say in general. Yeah. So basically connectivism focuses on um, individual. It's not focusing on individuals, uh, personal understanding and perception of knowledge. It is saying that learning is no longer related to individuals personal understanding and perception of knowledge. Uh, so in this digital age, learning is actually about also uh, where we can find the information. So not just the information and the content anymore. It's also important to see where you find the information. And mm -hmm. that source is, is not within us. So it's somehow outside. So we need to make sure we need to also be able to, uh, to find reliable sources, filter the information. So it's all about uh, where also you find the information and how valuable the information is depending on the source it's coming from. Um, in terms of like some real world examples of connectivism mm -hmm. like how can we use this or what are some ways that maybe ESL teachers could use this and implement this um, for their students and for their classes uh yeah well I think we are already using a lot of um online collaborative learning and teaching somehow but I think if you I want to give you some some good examples of this I would say like the Discussion forums that we are using these days are a great example of connectivism so that we're mm -hmm. trying to connect students on an online um, platform and students usually like share their opinions about something and they um, build knowledge based on some other people's experiences and other people's knowledge. So it also reminded me of a very famous quote that um, Siemens, uh, Siemens was actually Siemens mentioned in um, his article about connectivism. Uh, it was quoted by, um, it was actually mentioned by Karen Stevenson, if I'm not mistaken. She mm -hmm. says, experience has long been considered the best teacher of knowledge. And since we um, cannot experience 
we, since we cannot have all the experiences in the world, you cannot experience everything in this world. So, and everything is changing all the time and evolving. So you, it's impossible to experience everything. That's why other people's experiences somehow become the source, sometimes become the source of our knowledge and information. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very important that we kind of uh, see which, which information, which source is valuable so that we can, we can plug into this flow of indefinite flow of information and then we can draw meaning from it. But it's important to see where you should go to find the information you're looking for and how you can draw the meaning. So like the information is vast and the sources are like we have many. So you should see which source is reliable. So it's yeah, it's very interesting. And um, so I'm going to ask you a question here. So oh, sure. imagine you are a teacher and you, you know, you acknowledge that information is changing all the time. And as a teacher, you want to be up to date. So mm -hmm. how do you do that? How do I stay up to date as a teacher? Yes. I would actually seek and elicit feedback from my learners and find uh -huh. out what ways best suit their learning styles. Um, mm -hmm. And if there's certain tools or certain ways of learning that work well for them, then I would try to find tools and find different um, materials that can suit their learning needs and their learning styles. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I think what you said also had some sort of continual learning in it. Mm -hmm. So you get feedback from your students and you learn from their feedback. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Continual learning is an inherent part of connectivism. And um, it's very important that you maintain your connections um, within networks so that you can, you can gain that knowledge, you can update yourself. And um, we cannot deny that technology plays a very important role in keeping us connected. So that's why technology is very important. That's why this theory was actually proposed because of wonderful the digital and that's some um, research and some further reading for our listeners who would like to know more about this mm -hmm. um, and i'll definitely um in the description i'll definitely add some information where you can find out more about this idea and this concept of connectivism now we've talked about connectivism a little let's move on and talk about community because i think this is a really important part of, of what we do as teachers as well so in your experience what are some effective strategies for teachers to connect with students and foster this sense of community in an online environment because it can be very difficult and problematic. So what are some ways that we can help build community even if we're not physically in the classroom with students all the time? Yeah, so I think before I answer this question, it's very important that uh, we familiarize ourselves with communities of a practice because community, like imagine you as a neighbor to some other people who are living in your neighborhood, you you create a community, but you're not necessarily a community of practice. So let's see, because in connectivism and in the world of teaching and learning, communities of practice are very important, but let's see what they are and how we can create those for our students. So um, Etienne Wenger was actually the one who, uh, who, put forward this idea of having communities of practice. For him, it was like groups of people who share a concern or passion for something, uh, something that they do. And 
they all want to learn. They all want to uh, make progress and improvements in what they do. They want to do it better. That's why they come together. They share and they have regular interaction. So all these things are the most important components. So if you are somehow engaged in any of like uh, collaborative learning or teaching, let's say, if you have all these things, and I'm sure you, you have, so that's a community of practice. Um, and the digital, let's say, learning platforms or digital teaching platforms have affordances that can help us create communities of practice for ourselves and for our learners. So three main important components of communities of practice that we should have if we want to provide that for our learners and for ourselves. So we should make sure that we have this shared domain of interest. For mm -hmm. example, like if you become a member, somehow it means that you, you are committed to that community and you want to learn. So that's just one step toward <laughs> having that community. So membership can be like you sign up for Tutela, for example, because you want to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, and another one is that members engage in activities and discussions and they um, they try to do whatever they do better. So they learn from each other, they solve problems, they discuss things, agree, disagree. And then another important thing is that you need to make sure that um, this is something that you do regularly. So because we're talking about continual learning, so it should you should make sure that it is it's not something you do for a day or two and then you forget about it because knowledge is built through, you know, over a period of time. So yes. you have to make sure that it's continuous. Yeah. So um, I kind of forgot what you asked, but I think it was related to um, providing me like make sure making sure that students um, are exposed to um, contexts or they have opportunities uh, to stay connected with others because we're talking about connectivism. So we should make sure that we create those networks for them. And I think it's also important that to, uh, to help students create those networks later in their lives to become lifelong learners. Yes, this is good. And I like that idea again, you know, connectivism and community, they're kind of interrelated and they're actually kind of, you know, they go together, they're symbiotic in nature. Um, and I, I love this theoretical approach to learning and building and, you know, helping your students to succeed by using these tools. And also as a teacher, continuously trying to grow and learn and wanting to know more as well, mm -hmm. because we never want to stand still as teachers. We never want to just stay where we are. We always want to keep trying to improve every day. Sure. And most of us are pretty dedicated to what we do. So it's really important to, to continue learning and being open to new ideas as well. Because, um, yeah, the concept of connectivism, you know, it's emphasizing this importance of learning how to learn. So as teachers, this is probably something we don't do enough. Um, how could we instill this principle into students, learning how to learn? How can we help our students to do this? To become uh, independent learners? Yes, and, and more resilient learners as well, because I think resilience is a huge factor that we don't always take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So uh, I think as teachers, we need to make sure that we we are not the superior, like the power of our classroom anymore. That was like maybe years ago. Mm -hmm. We are now somehow like, I really like how, for example, theories such as Siemens 
uh, teachers are network weavers. So we need to make sure that we, we weave those networks for our students. And uh, some of them think that we are tech stewards. So we need to make sure that we are, before we introduce any of these digital spaces, we need to make sure that we we know how it works and we know what affordances they can offer to our students. So I think one step toward uh, helping students become lifelong learners or independent learners is that we need to make sure that they know how to develop their own strategies in learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, one way is to expose them to, to different strategies, uh, to incorporate all those for example, learning preferences in our curriculum so that the students know in which ways they can learn better. Uh, we also need to make sure that we provide them with reliable sources. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we as teachers, we need to have that ability to filter and find those reliable sources and then teach the students to do that because we don't want to do it for the rest of for the students' rest of life, we need to make sure we need to stop stop that somewhere and trust the students so that they can do it on their own. But before we do it, we need to help them evaluate, analyze, criticize. So I would say that we need to develop critical thinking in the students. I yep. think what I do usually with my students is that I always ask them to question everything in the first place. So you cannot say that, okay, just don't go on YouTube don't use this, don't use that, but because they're exposed to all of these things and right, YouTube right. actually has a lot of good um, no, information. So, so they need to filter. So one way is to like teach them strategies to filter the information. Um, I would say, for example, crap test can be a good way to teach students how to find. And unfortunately, Daniel, I, I just realized that most of the time when we're teaching an academic course, this is something that we always teach our students. But in other courses, we usually don't uh, talk about like reliable sources, which is because we feel like yes. okay, this is something that belongs only to academia. But I think that's not true. So how do how do English teachers, ESL teachers, maybe they just teach online, they just teach ESL, maybe they don't teach more, you know, academic um, EAP kind of courses. How do teachers know and how do they discern what is a valuable source and what isn't a valuable source? How do they know what's going to help build community and connectivism and how do they know what isn't? Because it's very confusing with so many tools and things out there. How can we select and identify um, potentially useful tools? I think I would say it's better not to first overwhelm ourselves and the students and our students with a lot of like digital platforms. I usually choose one or two and I study that platform very well. I see what are the challenges, what are the risks, what are the opportunities that it can give my students. And after I explore it very well, then I introduce it. But I always, in terms of, for example, YouTube videos, okay? Mm -hmm. Because that's something that students usually use. I sometimes use too. So instead of just providing some good videos, I sometimes even choose some really bad videos that cannot be a source of information or knowledge. And we kind of 
we do some, um, for example, we like evaluate, we analyze what are the good things about the video, what are the bad things, what questions can be formed in our mind. For example, the crap test, um, mm -hmm. who published that video? What were, for example, their motives? Who is the target audience? Do they want to just entertain us? That's not a good source of information if it's just for entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are like fun, easy steps that we can take. Yes. And we can just um, change uh, the way students learn, the way students draw meaning of what they're exposed to in the online sphere. So I like that. Yeah. yeah, it's about changing the approach. The tools themselves might be okay. The materials might be okay. But what do we do with them? How do we manipulate them? So like you mentioned, are we looking for the purpose, the audience, the main ideas? Mm -hmm. Are we looking for the reliability or the value of the material? So that could yeah. be a really nice way of doing it. And it's it. yeah. not always about the academic courses. So even in a free discussion class, when you are like imagine the topic of discussion is multiculturalism, for example. Mm -hmm. And then you can show them a video, two videos and compare. And then they can decide which one is more reliable, which one. Yes, that's yeah. a great idea for building community. So um, I just want to expand on what you just mentioned about um, you know, multiculturalism. Um, you know, as teachers, we generally come across different student groups, different student populations, very, very diverse um, backgrounds, cultures, languages, etc. So how can connectivism help teachers with their instruction and how can we meet those learning needs? Because, of course, we don't want to stereotype, but we do have some students who may be particularly shy when it comes to speaking. We might have some students who make quite common errors in their first language. We might have some students who really struggle communicating with people of the opposite sex or people who are of a certain age. This, these could be challenges from their cultural context. So how can we use connectivism to help meet the needs of those different learners? Well, I would say that, first of all, connectivism is based on um, diverse opinions. So in the first place, I think we need to make sure that students know that differences are uh, embraced here. <laughs> so uh, even if they have different um, like learning strategies, some of them might be comfortable with audios, for example, some of them might be comfortable with videos. For example, in discussion forums, mm -hmm. I always ask my students that they have different options. If they want to write, they can write. If they want to uh, record a video, an audio. So the, the means of communication in this case doesn't matter but it's just sharing and connecting is important mm -hmm. uh, so i remember in one of my recent classes that i taught we had this discussion forum and i asked them to either write or upload a video or uh, a recording and two of my students they did this group project where they had a video they were in the video but they didn't talk instead mm -hmm. they had subtitles so um, it was interesting because it had the text, it also had the video, but it was something new. So I thought that maybe they are, like there was music, the background music was playing, and it was really nice and everybody liked it. So I think if you give students options, they somehow, you also fire up their creativity. They might come up with new forms of communication. Um, you just need to give them give them options and you need to make sure that they know that everything is 
um, is okay. And one more thing about different, different opinions, because in connectivism, some, some of these communities of practice are local. Mm -hmm. So students are, for example, imagine you have a discussion mm -hmm. forum for your students in your class. So they know each other, they're comfortable, but some of them are, they cover a bigger, let's say, group. Um, in that case, you need to make sure that students, as a teacher, you have to be the mediator, um, helping students um, share their opinions using, if you want to give them some options in terms of topics, for example, that's okay, but there must be some guidelines that they follow in terms of uh, the tone, for example, they use in their comments mm -hmm. or in terms of the language they want to use, like they need to respect each other. So you need to also make sure because uh, when you're connected to lots of other people, then lots of other opinions, you need to make sure that they have the, the acceptance and the tolerance when it comes to different opinions. So 100%. Ag agree to differ, yeah. <laughs> agree to disagree, yeah. yeah. And the, the beauty of, of what you mentioned is it, it creates, it, it kind of ties into all these other things that we mentioned where it builds a, a safe environment, it encourages creativity, it allows for mistakes, it allows for discussion, it allows for diverse opinions and different viewpoints. Um, so this is a really powerful way, a really powerful concept, which we can definitely bring into um, our own teaching. And it can hopefully bridge the gap across different cultures and different backgrounds as well. Yes, now, yeah. on a one-to-one, -one, um, in a one-to-one -one environment, I guess, you can still do this. You just might have to have a little bit more input from the teacher's side, but in groups, I, absolutely, I can see how this would be um, really powerful in helping shape and build that community and build trust, most importantly, because if students trust each other, then they feel safe to try new things, to do new things, to make mistakes, and to mm -hmm. hopefully grow as a result of that. So great um, great elaboration and great um, explanations there. Thank you, Saba. Thank um, you. Could you share some practical tips or some resources for ESL teachers who they want to leverage this. Maybe they've, they've listened and they thought, this sounds great. Um, how can I start doing this? Where should they begin? Or what are some um, resources they could use to help them? Well, in terms of resources, I would like to suggest some a couple of books. Um, I'm sure that you can find lots of lots of great information on Google Scholar. Different, like uh, we have uh, lots of readings, articles about connectivism and communities of practice. Uh, but I would like to... I don't want to overwhelm anyone because I don't want to be overwhelmed. So I yeah. have a couple of great books. Shall I mention the books right now or answer the question? Yeah. And you can you can mention them and then I'll also add them in the description as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. So uh, let me find them here. So um, I have two books on communities of practice. Uh, one is Cultivating Communities of Practice by Etienne Wenger, Richard McDermott, and et al. Um, and I have another one, Communities of Practice, um, Learning, Meaning, and Identity by Etienne Wenger. These two books are really good. And I have a great book on connectivism, which also includes great information about communities of practice, which is Teaching in Digital Age. Um, now let me find it somehow here. Yeah, it's Teaching in a Digital Age by Tony Bates and Bates. The second 
uh, edition was published in 2019, and I found a free PDF version um, also on uh, its own website. So I guess it's you, they can use them for free. It has the print PDF, the digital PDF. I suppose you have to buy the print PDF, uh, but the digital PDF, uh, you can use it for free. And it has lots of great information about uh, both connectivism and also communities of practice. And what was your question one more time? Sorry. Well, that, that was it. You you gave the resources. So again, I'll, I'll link those in the description so people yes. can, uh, can check those up. Um, thank you so much for sharing um, your knowledge and your um, experience with these topics of connectivism and communities of practice. How can our listeners reach out to you? Or how could they connect with you and find out more about these topics? Yeah, so basically I use uh two of my email addresses more often than my personal email address my gmail address uh so that's why i'm going to uh, write them in the chat maybe for you and then later you can sure i'll add them in the description so if you'd yes. like to connect with Saba, you can just um find that info in the description and she can definitely follow up with the resources and materials if you need them yeah sure thank you that would be great all right thank you so much for your time Saba. it was great to to hear from you and Thank you so much for sharing uh, about this topic today. Thank you so much, Danielle. Alrighty, thank you so much, Saba, for a really insightful and interesting interview. And I learned a lot definitely about collectivism and community in the ESL classroom. Um, I also really liked that you were able to provide lots of resources and evidence and materials to support um, what we discussed. So if you'd like access to those, you can find them below in the description. And before we wrap up today, don't forget to check out our website, esl talk com where you can find all our latest episodes and all of our episodes actually for free just by visiting the website you can also apply to be a guest on a future episode just by clicking the be a guest button at the top as well all right that is it for today's episode we will see you again for a brand new episode don't forget to give us a follow on instagram at esl talk podcast and we will see you very very soon thank you so much how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.